listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. Welcome to part one of a very special two-part episode we recorded at the New York Women in Communications Student Communications Career Conference. I spent the day at the conference talking to just some of the amazing women who were sitting on panels and facilitating workshops. Each of the women who I had the opportunity to talk to spent some time sharing their own experiences and career advice with us. I had so many interesting conversations with these women that we had enough interviews for two full episodes of the podcast. We learned so much from each of these women and we can't wait to share their advice with you. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when the second episode from the Career Conference comes out. Thanks for listening. We're here with Tiffany Pham, who is the founder and CEO of Mogul. Good morning. Good morning. Tiffany, tell us a little bit about your company and, you know, we'll talk more about your path to get here, but if you just want to tell us, you know, what it does and what your role is. Sure. I am the founder and CEO of Mogul, which is currently the largest female millennial platform worldwide that enables millions of women to connect, share information and access knowledge from each other. So you can come onto the platform and you can see what's trending amongst women's worldwide, women's conversations all around the world right now in this moment, what's on top of women's minds, and are therefore in a very unique position to impact women's lives in a way that's never been done before, which is why now even the United Nations has named us one of the technology partners for advancing gender equality and quality education. For every dollar that Mogul earns, Mogul provides a free education to one woman in need through our international partners, including the United Nations, which is why now even over 62 million girls around the world are getting a free education. Amazing. That's amazing. How did you get here? So where did you start and what was your path to start this incredible company that's helping women? The journey towards starting Mogul all really started with my family initially because my family had been in media for many generations and I wanted to be exactly like them. So followed in their footsteps and then for years tried to really become um, similar to my grandmother. She was such an inspiration to me. She had run newspapers across Asia and and worked towards providing information access to those around her in need. So growing up, I wanted to be like her. And then eventually was uprooted from where I was growing up, Paris, France, to then Plano, Texas, where I thereafter tried to learn the English language by watching TV shows like <laughs> Friends and I Love Lucy. And then I saw how powerful media was then for learning and education. And then when I was 14, my, my grandmother passed away. That's the day that I made a promise then and there that I would do everything I could to follow in our footsteps, no matter what, no matter how challenging I would work towards providing information access to, just like her. So ever since that moment, since I was 14, that's all I've ever worked towards. And then by age 16, I remember applying to Yale and then thereafter Harvard Business School, throughout which I always tried to, again, follow in my grandmother's footsteps, so continue to always find opportunities throughout this time in which I could do that, from the school newspaper to running the school's uh, entertainment and media club at Harvard Business School. But then what happened thereafter was that very early on as a young woman, now by age 21 or 22, was emerging to then work with the president of the BBC, North America, who actually now years later is on our board, to then working at HBO and then CBS, 
And at CBS, I was working for one of the presidents of CBS, in which then I was able to help lead TV station, radio station, websites, and mobile properties from a strategy business development standpoint, about 150 different properties, 29 different U.S. cities. But at nights, even though I was getting promoted throughout the day, I would take on jobs, side hustles, mm-hmm. that then enabled me to learn even more so that I could fulfill this promise to my grandmother. So I took on a second side job with the vice mayor of Beijing, creating a new venture together that could bridge the cultural gaps between U.S. and China. And then I had a third job simultaneously producing feature films and documentaries starring Gerard Butler to also with uh, Patricia Arquette, being able to highlight through these films different social issues that needed to reach more global awareness and needed to draw more global attention. So I became the producer behind the first North American feature film to ever feature a man with Down syndrome in the lead role. And so I had all of these three jobs collectively, which you see elements of in Mogul today, bridging cultural gaps, highlighting different social issues that need more global awareness, innovating at the forefront of content. And then what happened one day was that I woke up and by chance my phone had exploded with hundreds of emails from all around the world from young women that had happened to read about my three jobs that morning in Forbes 30 Under 30, which I was by chance listed in that morning. So all of a sudden, they started to write me asking for help and advice. How could get how they, could they get these three jobs too? And so I would write back huge letters, three-page essays oh to help them, <laughs> which is so me. And then in the end, they would tell me that my letter had changed their life. That all of a sudden they got that opportunity or an interview or a promotion that they were really hoping for that they didn't think would be possible in their society. And that's when it occurred to me, what if instead of sharing all this one-on-one behind the scenes, we had a platform whereby millions of us could share our obstacles and challenges and struggles, and then from that be able to exchange ideas and opportunities and insights amongst each other, we could become that much better and stronger together. And then from there... I had written a book at that time called From Business Strategy to IT Roadmaps to help other organizations better align their IT infrastructure with their business strategies. And that's when it occurred to me, if I'm teaching others how to better build out their IT, what if I could teach myself how to code and build this little idea of myself to help all these young girls' lives, this little platform idea I had, what if I could teach myself Ruby on Rails every night and build this? And so that's what I did. Every single day, I'd work with everyone from one of the presidents of CBS to the vice mayor of Beijing to Gerard, et cetera. Then at nights at 3 a.m., I'd be done with everything, and I would just teach myself Ruby on Rails. And after a couple of weeks, I built the first version of Mogul. And, and when did you sleep? I didn't sleep <laughs> at the time. I'm like, this is <laughs> – we'll talk about time management in a second because oh, you are an amazing lesson on time management. Okay. Then what happened was that I ended up – being finished with what was initially a very ugly version of Mogul, very ugly design, but it, I was so proud of it. It had all the basic functionalities that I thought could help women's lives around the world be able to upload content, upload it, download it, so that you could see on a real-time basis what was trending amongst women worldwide. And then we ended up, or I ended up sending it off to the thousands of young girls following me online. We ended up exploding to a million users within our first week. It's an amazing story. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. amazing. Let's talk about time management just for one second. How did you manage your time and kind of what advice do you have for people if you're trying to have a full-time job and, you know, you talk about the side hustle, making time for that before it becomes your next, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor or job or even just if you want to keep it a side hustle? I think my first piece of advice is to 
have your daytime role, know what the expectations are during that daytime role so that then you're always delivering, over-delivering on those expectations, and even knowing what milestones you have to achieve in order to get promoted so that you're never letting go of that opportunity during the daytime, which I'm sure in the first place, if you accepted the opportunity, was a great opportunity. So know what expectations are, over-deliver on those milestones, and that's what happened at CVS. I was continuously being promoted because I knew what they were expecting and I was always trying to over deliver on it. And then at night when you're taking on your side hustles, think about what's going to enable you to reach the top of the brim, but not overflow over the brim so that then in the end, you're always over delivering on those expectations as well, because the reasons why you're getting that side hustle should hopefully have been because you not only want to accelerate your skills, you want to learn more, but you also want to develop friendships and strong collaborations with the people that you accepted the side hustle from, such that in the end, you're developing wonderful friendships that will turn into long-term partnerships and collaborations thereafter. So take on side hustles that you know you can deliver well mm-hmm. on as well and have great friendships emerge from too. And how do you know when it's time to turn your side hustle into your full-time gig? Like what for you or... What do you think people should be paying attention to in terms of really taking that next step? If there's particularly one side hustle that you're just so passionate about that it starts to become everything that you can think about day and night and you can't think about your daytime role anymore, I think really that's the time. That's the signal that it's time to go and in the end jump full force into this new side hustle and make this your daytime job too. Um, I think if it has incredible momentum, that's usually one of the reasons why you'll start to feel like it's anything and everything that you can think about all throughout the day. So that momentum will be key to really see and and feel out to see if you can achieve that traction. We are at the New York Women in Communication Student Conference, and there are a lot of young women here listening to your advice. You just gave the keynote. What advice do you wish you could go back and give yourself when you were a student? When you were in college, what's something you wish you could have, you know, told yourself that would help you get where you are today or change something about where you are today? Well, when I was in college, one of the things I did that I probably would have done even more of was take on extracurricular activities in order to learn as much as I could. One thing I did was I basically thought about the media industry, which was obviously the direction I wanted to go into, and all the ways in which I could learn about the media industry in advance. What I ended up doing was therefore writing the school newspaper. I was starting a literary magazine. These taught me about sales, it taught me about management, it taught me about uh, starting up a whole new organization, respectively. I also became one of our senior class heads, so I learned about marketing and events that way. I produced musicals, so I learned about production that way. I uh, was also the webmaster for Asian American Students Alliance. That was probably the first opportunity I ever took on as a very shy student before I later took on those other leadership opportunities. And so as a result, then I learned more about technology in this way. If I could give myself advice for back then, I would have done even more than that. I would have taken on even more opportunities to learn about even broader areas uh, so that then in the end, by the time it got to Mogul, I would have known everything possible, Mm -hmm. every detail. (laughs) But I certainly had done about half of that. So I would have done the other half. (laughs) And you said you were shy. How did you work on coming out of your shell. I mean, that's something that's really hard to overcome. And when you, especially when you're running a business and you're the face of the business, it's so important to be out there. What helped you kind of get out of that, out of that and get over that? 
That's a great question. And I think I've been trying to figure out for myself as well how I overcame that timidity. And I think what it came down to was I needed to in order to get things done. And I think that is like the biggest reason why I push myself and I overcome any fears I have is when something needs to get done, then I just have to do it. So for example, in terms of timidity, the first ways in which timidity might have hindered me was when I was first writing the school newspaper. So taking it back now to college days. So literally, even though I was shy, I would go door to door to door, roll up my sleeves and talk to the restaurant owners to convince them to advertise in the school newspaper. I would talk to the Yale agencies, advertising their conferences and events to advertise in the school newspaper. Any recruiters from corporations that wanted to recruit me for their jobs and internships, they had to advertise in the school newspaper. So anything possible, any yeses I could get, I would overcome my fears of timidity in order to convince them based on metrics and data that they should advertise. And so later on in life, that timidity yet came again when I was pitching mogul. I knew that yet again, if I had to pitch mogul, if I was super shy, then I wouldn't be able to get it off the ground. So I ended up through my usual system of being, as an introvert, um, able to talk to someone one-on-one and become dear and deep friends with them. Then then I used that approach to approach investors. I reached out to 50 role models who I thought would be incredible to learn from and from whom an investment would mean uh, incredible strategic thought as well as in the financial support. So in the end, I reached out to role models like the founder of Match.com, who would be great to learn from in terms of scaling, to the founder of the Not.com, the wedding platform, who also had been chief creative officer of AOL, therefore had great content thoughts, to Gary Vaynerchuk, who had been a great investor in Facebook and Snapchat, and therefore had great industry knowledge, and had been a content creator himself, um, leading the Wine Library TV. So all of a sudden, I had role models that I was reaching out to and realizing that if I couldn't get this done, Mogul would never um, get the light, never reach the light that I needed to. It's just about pushing yourself every single time past to then be able to achieve that courage that you know you need to achieve in order to get things done. So throughout life, timidity had to, become, had to be overcome for many different reasons, but you just have to push yourself. You did it. <laughs> Would you have any kind of like down and dirty tricks? Do you practice speaking in front of the mirror or have, are there things that you have kind of taught yourself that are like little small snackable tips to, you know, that, that someone who's listening to this who might feel like they just can't overcome their shyness might be able to take on? That's a great question. And so my little dirty secret is that usually for about half an hour before any speech, I kind of hide myself. Uh, from any organizers, from anyone reaching, trying to reach me beforehand. And I just try to recite it in my head. Um, I just like stay as silent as I can. I, I like just have it in my head. And then when I step on stage, I try to delight the audience. I try to be the most amazing person they've heard from so that in the end, um, they'll remember how they felt. That was actually a really good piece of advice that someone once gave me was that they said, um, they told me a mathematician's name and they were like, what do you know of him? And I was like, I don't know this person. And then they were like, what about Albert Einstein? Do you know him? And I was like, yes, of course. And then they said, well, turns out actually that mathematician was like way more of a genius than Albert Einstein. In fact, he like developed this algorithm and this theorem and he was amazing. He was brilliant, a genius, but not a single person remembers him. They all remember Albert Einstein. And that's because he made people laugh. He was memorable 
And that was a key difference. Mm -hmm. So when you go before an audience, when you speak to the press, et cetera, when you're giving a speech, just make sure you're memorable, that you are authentically yourself, that you connect with them on a personal level so that they relate back to you and they'll remember you forever. That's great. That's a great lesson just in personal branding, like making sure that you're doing something memorable, kind of choosing what that's going to be before you're going out there and speaking or presenting, you know, putting yourself out there, presenting to investors, whatever it might be. Exactly. And I think for myself, the ways in which I relate back to someone is by knowing that I truly helped them in their life. And so I always start out by just letting them know in advance that my intention in this conversation and this speech, for example, will be to ensure that by the end of the speech, that they have drawn practical lessons and tips and advice from everything I've just said so that they can apply it to their life today. And that's my authenticity. That is my level of being able to relate to someone and make sure that they remember me forever. You just talked about a great piece of career advice. What's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? The best piece of a career advice I ever received was from my father to fail forward because in the end, so long as you're learning along the way, then it wouldn't even have been a failure in the end. So growing up, I just always thrived on getting no's, getting yeses. Didn't matter if I got a no, I'd forget it right away. I have a great short-term memory for no's. <laughs> and then in the end, it became a mantra of a no is a not right now that will turn into a yes. That is something we recite at Mughal all the time. No is a not right now that will turn into a yes. Because sure enough, any time we've ever gotten a no in our history at Mogul, it has always turned into a yes later. We have always been chased after the very people that had said yes early on. So in the end, just remember that any no's you get along the way, be resilient, be determined, keep going. doesn't matter. Don't take it personally. Just keep being professional per- and you'll get that yes in the end. I love the advice even of like, have a short-term, mem- have a bad short-term memory about no's. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Just forget them. Don't. <laughs> I think a lot of people just obsess over it. That's a good piece of advice in itself. Don't obsess over it. What is something that no one ever asks you? You do a lot of interviews. You speak to a lot of people. What's something that no one ever asks you that you have always wanted to share about yourself, about your business, about something you've learned along the way? That's a really good question. (laughs) It's a tough one. Yeah. No, and I know immediately what came to mind. Immediately the first thing that came to mind was that no one probably asks me about relationships which really was formative as well in forming Mogul. Um, for example, when I first launched Mogul, I was dating someone at the time that was a terrible partner to me in terms of who I was and how, who I'd grown into. But I stayed with them because it was comfortable. Right. And when I was about to launch Mogul, he made me choose marry him and move in or launch Mogul. And I ended up very heartbroken choosing mogul, even though I had been with this person for years. And what happened was that in launching mogul, I created a post as one of the users myself. I wrote a post, all caps, do not get married unless you ask your partner these 15 questions. And that post got viewed by 13 million people (laughs) in the first few weeks of mogul and was a big reason for its huge momentum and virality upwards right away. And so it's, then another lesson of how relationships led me to vulnerability, which led me to relatability to millions of users. 
So in the end, relationships have been a, a huge part of me, and I'm very rarely asked about it. <laughs> well, and I'm sure also, like, you're a woman, and when you're being interviewed, people don't want to make it, you know, all about relationships, mm-hmm. but it is really, like, 360 life. Like, your relationships are part of what made you who you are today Absolutely. and made it so that you could start this company. So it's so important. Thank you for sharing that with yeah, us. Of course. Yeah, exactly. That's why, in the end, Mogul is not just about career, but about every part of you, mm-hmm. because we realize that a Mogul is an incredible mother, daughter, sister, friend, team player, team leader. And so being a mogul is being the best version of yourself across every part of you. And that's why relationships is key too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't talk about like work-life balance, I feel like, as much anymore. It's just like life. And that was, you know, it's all part of who you are and what you do and what you create. Before we wrap up, we haven't talked about your coffee drink of choice yet, which is a key piece of our interview with all of our guests. So what is your coffee drink of choice? What's the coffee drink you can't live without? Well, the ironic thing about this question is I don't don't drink drink coffee. coffee. (laughs) And it's because I do sleep very little, and I think it is genetic. But a friend of mine actually scared me when I was younger. He was like, you're going to ruin the magic if you drink coffee because then – you already sleep so little that all of a sudden maybe that coffee will become dependent on it. So as a result, I never drank coffee thereafter after he made that one morning. So what I did drink, though, is tea. Okay. I did drink green tea, and I love green tea, and I love to try different teas. Okay. That, that counts. It still counts. <laughs> your warm beverage drink of choice. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time. This is a great conversation. Where can our listeners find you? Where do you want people to follow you on social media? Well, you can definitely go to Mogul and then follow me there. I love to talk to our users all day. We're all very close all around the world. Um, So I'm always connecting with our users. And then also I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. The handle is at TiffTFam. And you can find me and I'm very close with our users all throughout those channels as well. Awesome. So TiffTIFF. T-I-F-F-T-P-H-A-M. Great. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Here with Meredith Long, who is the Senior Vice President, News, Luxury, and Style at Time Inc., and also the President of New York Women in Communications. Meredith, thank you so much for being here with us today. What is your job? What does that job mean? <laughs> what does that title translate to? What are you actually doing day to day? question. I get that question a lot. <laughs> um, so I sit across our news, luxury, and style brands. So time, fortune, money, travel, and leisure, food, and wine, departures, and in-style. And these brands largely have been known as magazine brands. So what I do is work directly with our CEO, Rich Batista. And what we're doing is Um, developing businesses outside of the pages of a magazine or digital, um, so outside of the traditional advertising revenue streams to grow and develop these brands out in the world. It's exciting. Bringing these brands into the current times, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our show is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. The first thing we always like to ask our guests, what is your coffee drink of choice? I hope I'm not insulting anyone when I say this, but I am a tea drinker. Is this the secret to success yeah. that you don't drink coffee? Yeah, that's... a jasmine tea with almond milk is, oh, that my, sounds good. is my go-to. Not that I don't drink coffee, but I prefer tea. But you're not, like in the morning, you're going to have a cup tea. of tea. Yep. Interesting. And why do you prefer it? Flavor? Relaxation? Yeah, I just think it, it I don't know. I feel like it's very soothing. Tell us about the steps you've taken to get where you are now. So from college to internships to the different jobs you've had, what has been your career path and your career journey? 
Okay, I will try to keep this brief. So I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder. I was actually a broadcast news major. So oh. I wanted to be on TV or on the screen. Um, but while I was in college getting my journalism degree, I picked up the yellow pages. There were still yellow pages at that time. And I wanted an internship. And so I called a bunch of different ad agencies in Boulder um, and asked if they had internships and ultimately got an internship at an ad agency. Um, and why did you look to ad agencies? Because there weren't really internships. I was in Boulder. So to get an internship on broadcast news, they were never going to put you on the air. Right. Um, so I just wanted to get more experience within advertising and journalism and kind of round out my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and there were some ad agencies in Boulder. So worked at this ad agency for a fabulous woman and I loved it. And it was a small shop. So I got to touch all the different pieces of the business. Um, and so that really um, got me interested in that side of the business versus um, the broadcast news side. Um, and it was also something that I felt like I could dive into and um, really be involved in the business early on where in broadcast news, it takes a while to really get a high profile job or the kind of job that I thought I would get in broadcast news. So um, from that internship, I actually, um, the year after college, moved to the Virgin Islands with my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> wow. which I always think is a good story because I just, um, it was almost a gap year, but I just, um, I love being on the water. And so I wanted to just live in an island, experience that lifestyle. And I actually always encourage people if they have that kind of itch to scratch to do it for mm -hmm. many reasons. Um, and one of the things is because the fantasy isn't always the reality. Right. Um, so, you know, living on a tropical island has some advantages, um, but the pace actually ultimately got to me and I really wanted to jump to start my career. So I got a job at Fallon in Minneapolis, which was an ad agency. Um, and at that time agencies, and this is kind of pre-startup culture, were one of the few places where there were kind of young, hipper, creative types. You mm -hmm. could wear jeans to work. It wasn't suit and tie. Um, so it was a great place to start. I didn't know anything about advertising sales, which is ultimately um, where I ended up. But we went out with a bunch of ad sales folks. They were entertaining us from USA Today. And I, I just thought they looked like they were having a blast. And I thought, okay, that I want to do what they're doing because I want my life to look like theirs when I grow up. Um, but also knew I wanted to get back to the West Coast. A lot of my friends from Boulder had been in California. So on a trip to California, a friend of mine from Fallon introduced me uh, to a woman that owned a rep firm. Um, I had no experience in ad sales, but um, my experience on the agency side informed the interview that I had at this rep firm. So got in with the rep firm um, and represented small, very small magazines, um, a few of them. And then after two years, got picked up by Time in San Francisco and always thought I would be in San Francisco. Um, and the advice I give is that I received in San Francisco was plan your life, not your career, because I always thought I would be in San Francisco, loved it. And then in 2008 was offered the opportunity to run our office in Washington. It was 2007, 2008, walking into the Obama election. Mm -hmm. So I thought it, it was about the job, but I really thought Washington will be a really interesting right, place exciting to, live. Time to yeah, be there. Exciting time to be there. So it was really kind of about the overall experience. Mm -hmm. Went to Washington. It was an incredible experience. That was kind of my first management role. Um, and then I was there for 15 months. Same thing. A job opened up, up in Los Angeles to oversee time, fortune, and money. Um, but it really was, you know what? I want to move back to California. It seemed like a really interesting opportunity, but I thought it was really a lifestyle choice. Mm -hmm. Went there. Um, thought I was going to live in LA forever, loved it. And then um, the publisher of Time Job 
opened in New York. I swore I would never live in New York. Um, <laughs> You've avoided it to that point. I Pretty had avoided impressive. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was just too good an opportunity to say no to. So um, that ultimately got me to New York, but there was no plotting or mm-hmm. really planning. I just got myself in an industry and in a business and with a company that I loved. And then um, you know, took advantage of opportunities because they seemed fun and interesting, really, when they presented themselves. That's great. And it's interesting. Like, I think a lot of people, they really do not leave themselves open to especially moves and, like, mm-hmm. going, especially here in New York, like, going somewhere outside of New York. But mm-hmm. leaving yourself open sounds like where all the opportunity came from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you felt flexible and comfortable moving around. Mm-hmm. And I also think we've heard from a lot of people just saying, trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And so I think however you get in touch with your gut is important because a lot of people like with LA said, don't move to LA and you're going to hate it. And everyone's fake. And it's, and that could not be farther from the truth. I loved it. I met fabulous creative people. It's, it was, I loved the lifestyle. So I think always, always trust your gut and it'll lead you interesting places. And how do you get yourself acclimated to a new city when you move for a career? That's such a good question. Um, well, I think the the job piece, also, I think it's hard because you are stepping into a new job. So you're, you know, there's a big lift. It's, there's a big, you know, acclimation process just in terms of getting your head around the job. Um, but I think going in with, I, I think that I always moved to places that spurred my curiosity or I was excited to live in mm-hmm. because I wasn't really necessarily moving for the job. I was okay. moving because I wanted to live in that city or experience a different lifestyle. So I think, um, being curious about where you are and really enjoying it. Not only, I mean, I think that the network that I made, not only in the office, but I think on the weekends, I really made a point of getting out there and enjoying the city that I was in. It's in Washington. I took a photography class. Mm-hmm. So we were going around photographing all the monuments and uh, met interesting people that way. And in LA, I was surfing or, you know, out on the water all the time. So, um, and I also think, you know, before you move, reach out to friends or colleagues and they make introductions right. and that's such a great great right. way to do it. So I think it's actually not as hard as it seems. And probably now with social media, like yeah. you could just go like, okay, I'm moving to LA, who knows yeah. friends? You'd be introduced yeah. to 50 people. Yeah, exactly. We have a lot of conversations, especially on this podcast around saying yes and, you know, being open to new things is kind of what we're just talking about. Mm-hmm. We know it's important, but we also talk about how saying no can be important mm-hmm. and setting boundaries. So what is some advice you have for saying no, setting boundaries at work, mm-hmm. you know, without hurting your reputation, mm-hmm. without pissing people off? Yeah. Like, you know, what's kind of the way to do it? This is such a hard question. This was really, <laughs> I really had to sit down and think about this. It's hard. Um, I don't think any, we even think about this, like, you know, proactively, generally, day to day. So I recently had an experience where I said no to a role. And so I'll use that. Yeah, to, to kind of talk great. about. And it was tough because I think when your management wants you to fill a role or fill a need, they want you in that role. And so it is hard. You don't want to disappoint your manager or your senior level management. So it is, is really challenging. And I think the thing I landed and I said no, um, which I think is important because mm-hmm. you don't want to say yes when you know something's not right for you because you ultimately aren't going to be happy, then your leadership team isn't going to be happy. Um, But I think women in particular have trouble letting management down. I think that it's, it's harder for women to say no. And so the thing that I learned in the way I dealt with this, because I provided a solution for them. So I said, I don't think that role or that opportunity is right for me for these reasons. And Mm -hmm. I was very honest about it. Which also opened up the conversation to say, for them to say, okay, where do you see Mm -hmm. things going? So it opened up another door, but I said, but here's a solution that I actually think is better. 
Um, so I didn't just kind of say no and leave them without anything. So I think when you say no, trying to be helpful in terms of what you're saying no to help them solve that problem, I think is, is what I learned through that experience. And it sounds like you know like that it's important to usually say yes to them. So because you've said yes so many times, I'm sure when you say no, people mm-hmm. take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. understand and respect mm-hmm. that decision, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a great a great way to kind of set yeah. out the larger, Such bigger a good picture. Point. Such a good point. Do you manage a team? Yes. Okay. And you probably are interviewing people in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you think someone should always do in a job interview? Um this is so basic. It sounds so basic and it's amazing how many people don't do it that, that I sit with. Just do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, really do your homework. And I'm always amazed the the people that I will talk to that haven't on a, on a very basic level, you know, about the organization, about our brands, about the company. And I never expect anyone to be an expert right. at all. Um, but like what you could Google, you should yeah, probably know. <laughs> yeah. And I've been in interviews where they'll say, what do you think about X, Y, and Z category? And I'll say, to be on it, you know, here's what I'm curious about, but I've been, you know, completely immersed in mm-hmm. this business. So I think I don't expect people or want people to come in and, and be an expert necessarily on the company, but I certainly expect them to have done their homework on, on, and, and be informed and also curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't do their homework, but now, especially we have Mm -hmm. so many resources, it's like Mm -hmm. you could have easily find out so much information. I also think I've seen people fall into the trap and I've probably done this myself where you're, you're being interviewed. So you're thinking about you and your experiences Mm -hmm. and how you're going to answer your questions. So you're very kind of internally focused, but I also think just taking the time to think, okay, I'm going into this organization or this role and kind of pull it outside of yourself. Because I think we can all do probably fairly unprepared talk about ourselves and our experience off the cuff. But, you know, having thoughtful, informed questions about the organization or the role um, or the brand or the position is important. And I'm just always surprised. Is that a deal breaker for you? Would you be like, I can't hire this person? Yeah, Yeah. it would be. Because Mm -hmm. I think, um, and I think that also shows a curiosity and a preparedness, which Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, I I certainly look for in, in people that I'm bringing onto the team. Yeah what's one thing that you should never do in a job interview? This is a hard question. You probably see a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I think this is, uh, this is where my head went. I think there's, there's always an interview question, right? Like what are your biggest faults or something? But I've, I've actually had people a- answer that like, and give me like bad personal habits. <laughs> Oh God. Like someone was like, I, I just, I twirl my hair when I'm nervous or something. And so it was an awkward, it was just kind of awkward. So that like, I would I say like, that. yeah, it's not, I would say like, stay away from like personal habits, which is such a weird one. But when I got that question, I was like, I, that just sticks out. My I think mind. it's a great tip. Don't talk about your personal habits, but I can that see you don't like, like yeah, right? you're bad, yeah. Like, but I can see that because when you get asked that question of like, what's your weakness? You don't want to say like anything. So right. you think, oh, if I say something per- like not professional, that's not going to help me, right. hurt me from getting the job. But I actually just, we were just talking about this question in the other room and someone, we were talking about that, that question mm-hmm. and someone was saying, I was like, how do you answer that question? And they were like, you know what? I'm just like very authentic. And I actually think it's good advice. Like she was like, you know what? I say like, I really, I don't love administrative work. Like I know it's part of the job and I know, but like, I don't love that. Mm-hmm. And like, also like I can be too direct at times and that can be, so I actually think there are ways if you, if, and I think that question 
does get posed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a way to answer it authentically. So I thought that was interesting feedback. And I would say be prepared that that question will get asked. Mm Because that is the question I personally could not, like, answer on the spot in any productive way. It's tricky, yes. I mean, I might answer (laughs) it, but probably I'll talk about my bad personal habits. (laughs) (laughs) What's something you do every day to make sure that you feel your job is valuable and, like, personally rewarding? Is there Mm -hmm. something that you do every single day? Um, well, every single day, because it's a part of my job and I just love growing, inspiring and mentoring teams. So I think one of the things when I worked with Pat Fallon, um, at my first job at Fallon in Minneapolis, he would always say fun is the last legal means of getting an edge on the competition. So every day, and I think so many of our businesses are in disruption and there is so much that's out of our control. So I really try to bring an element of fun and creativity to the office, to the teams, because we are all fighting a lot of headwinds, but that's something I can control. It's something I can bring in with me every day. And I think it, I feel like it makes a difference and it makes where we work and where we spend so much time, just a a healthier, um, more creative place to be. That's great. That's what I was thinking as you're saying that. I'm like, you spend so much time at work. Mm -hmm. Like if it's never fun, Mm -hmm. what a miserable Mm -hmm existence mm-hmm. like and things are so you know you, you can't just have fun when like your numbers are up and things right. are great or I think if you can bring fun when the business is challenged and you know the your the goals are very high that ultimately I do think that's a competitive advantage mm-hmm. so that's what I try to bring in into the office into the team every day that's great what is a piece of career advice that you really love like what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received so I always give this, I think I said it earlier, um, and a mentor had given it to me um, a long time ago, and he said, plan your life, not your career. Um, so what does that mean it, to you? What did it mean to him? Yeah, I think, and I, when I talk about my journey and thinking about roles that I've taken, it really has been, certainly they've been career opportunities, but I also think they've been life experience mm-hmm. opportunities personal growth and development opportunities. Um, and so for me, that has always taken the front seat. Will I still be able to have an interesting balance? Will it open interesting personal doors? I mean, there, there are ways that I also evaluate the, the professional opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you are not happy and healthy personally, you're not going to be any good to any organization or any team. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just kind of a reminder that it's a reminder of priorities. Mm-hmm. It's like the new work-life balance, <laughs> I feel Which like. Which is so hard. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to claim that I, you know, have figured out the balance right. thing, but I think it's a way to evaluate. It's it's a reminder that don't just plan your career. Think it's about great. Think yeah. about it's all of a piece. Right. It's, and it's kind piece. of like the thought of, like, life is long. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So just thinking of it as one big journey is so important. Yeah. And that's great advice. Yeah. You do a lot of panels, I'm sure, and, you know, talk to a lot of people, do a lot of interviews. But what's something? that no one's ever asked you that you've been like wanting to share? Well, one, except I said this on a panel, I I do think, um, and Tiffany said this, you should have a side hustle. Mm -hmm. So I think that's always a good question to ask people. Like what's your side hustle? Um, but, your side I, but I actually already said this on a wiki okay. thing, but I'm getting my, um, degree in interior design. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Which is unexpected. Um, but I think a fun fact is, um, that I was on a reality show, <gasps> um, but it was called this job's a trip. And, um, I actually, for a time thought, talk about roads are winding. I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. 
Um, and so, what point of your career is this that you <laughs> that I was on the show, or I thought I, wanted, I thought you wanted to be a marine biologist in college? Okay, in college, oh, wow. freshman and sophomore year. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, I decided I liked being out in front of people and not behind a microscope or under the sea. So I took the right career path for me. But um, so it was on the Travel Channel. It was called This Job's a Trip, and they took people that were in a certain job and. I always wanted to be a XYZ, and so they sent me to SeaWorld to be a marine mammal trainer. Oh, oh um, my gosh. So it kind of fulfilled, like, lots of different fantasies, like being on television and a broadcast kind of news investigative yep. reporting piece, but then also training dolphins and seals and sea lions. And so that's the fact that I always use at a dinner party or something, of like something that people don't know about me. Do you have a tape of that show yourself? I have probably the only one that exists. Yes. Which will never see the light of day. And was that experience, was it fun? Was it informative? It was a blast. It was. Oh, it was a blast. Yeah. Did you swim with the oh, yeah. whales? I don't, yeah. I've never been to SeaWorld. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were in, actually, the most terrifying part was, I was, like, fine with the animals and the walruses and all of that. The most terrifying part was there's like a big dance performance at the end, like in the main stage. And that's what terrified me. I mean, you we had going, to dance. Mm-hmm. It was like a big, <laughs> like dance with the animals, but really you had to dance. And that was terrifying. And you performed mm-hmm. just one time or did you have to do it? Like only one time. Okay. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that amazing. was, that was also on the show. How did you decide to do interior design? It's just a passion. And actually it's interesting where like, work informs your life. It, it has been a passion, but I've also moved around so many times. Right. So I've lived in Minneapolis, Austin, Texas, San Francisco, Washington, LA, New York. Um, and so I've had to interior decorate, design right. and decorate a lot of different apartments um, and homes. And so I think through that experience, I've really learned to love the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it really organically happened through that. And I think that's actually, I take that as like almost advice because it's like, okay, if you're looking for your passion, like if you feel like you don't know what your passion is other than work, Mm -hmm. like just looking to other pieces of your life that are already there. Like you probably didn't think that decorating your apartment every time was necessarily like your Mm -hmm. new passion or maybe Mm -hmm. future opportunity, but it really Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And now you're getting a degree, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. I also think it's important to have something, I mean... People have talked about meditating or these hobbies that also just, you know, we talk about work-life balance, help you, people play golf, people that, that actually help you get Mm -hmm. away from it. Because I think with our phones and social media and we're always connected and I think it's important to have something that, and I think being a student of something Mm -hmm. is helpful because you, you have to so focus on whatever it is that you're studying that it, it helps you forget kind of the noise of that is so inherent in so much of our work. It's really, really interesting. So what do you, do you want to use this degree to professionally, you know, professionally when you're done? I may. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I may at some point, or it may manifest itself in some different way. There are things that I love about it. I mean, it's interesting because we talked about when someone says, you know, what are some of your faults? And Mm -hmm. I, I actually don't like, um, the, it's, you know, why I wasn't a business major. I don't like the floor plans and the math and mm-hmm. that piece of it. I like the fabrics and the working with clients. And so it kind of mirrors what I like about my role right now. Um, but I think it's, it, it doesn't have to be a career right now. Mm-hmm. So it's just fun, right, to, it fun to follow it. And again, it really does help me. I find this also, um, 
I'm taking Spanish classes. And I think you, you so have to focus that again, it's almost like meditating. Cause when you, when you're done, you realize like, Oh, I didn't think about, you know, that proposal that was due mm-hmm. or whatever was hanging over your head. So I think being a student of something always without putting pressure on yourself, something that's fun, um, helps ultimately helps you in, in your job, even if it has no direct yeah. application. So you work full time, you're getting a degree in interior design, you're taking Spanish. Mm-hmm. How do you manage your time? It's such a hard question. I love hearing women in particular mm-hmm. talk about that and women with families and foster children and all kinds of things. Um, and it's really hard in New York, I will say. Mm-hmm. I found it harder in New York than living on the West Coast. Um, the advice that I've gotten, because candidly, I don't think I'm that great at it, is you have to make time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you have to. So whether that's in the morning or saying, setting up a time where you leave at a certain time, you can't do it every night, but actually, um, I was on a panel and I heard a woman say that she only entertains or goes out with clients two nights a week mm-hmm. so that she's actually carving out the time. So I think that I always kind of thought that it really had to do with the job or your manager and carving out the time. And I actually have realized the onus is really on you to make the time and carve out the space for whatever it is, whether Mm -hmm. it's working out, spending time with your family, going out on dates, like you really have to make the time. And, you know, if you find yourself in a place where they're not respectful of that, but I think by and large, organizations and companies are, but we put this expectation on ourselves. I mean, we always say like, no one's going to take the vacation for you. So really giving yourself the permission Mm -hmm. to take that time, block it on your calendar and, and make it as much of a priority as, as you make everything else. Right. Like holding yourself accountable because Mm -hmm. like you can put your workouts on your calendar and so many people say this, they're like, but I never get to it. It's like, that's the hard part is making sure you get to it. I also think at any level, at any level with any job, the job is going to take whatever you give it, whatever you feed it, however much you feed it, it's going to, it'll take that much. I don't think any of us ever feel like it's done. Right. Um, so really again, like holding yourself accountable, carving out the time and making it a priority. And I think I always say, you know, to my team, vacations there for a reason, take it and, you know, also be mindful that that's going to make you a better employee and Mm -hmm. a better team member when you do have some balance and you are a happy, healthy person. So, Hold yourself accountable to your point and make the time. It's not easy. No, it's really hard. It's the hardest thing. And that's, and that's kind of a theme that's been coming up on the podcast recently is like time management. It's not mm-hmm. like necessarily work-life balance, it's just like time. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to is mm-hmm. like, how do you have the time? And as we talk to more people who have new types of careers, like mm-hmm. freelance, you know, who do freelance mm-hmm. careers or work at startups, it's like, there's no structure for them. So yeah. it's really figuring out like, how do you get it all done? I actually or, ask people when I sit down and have lunches with people, um, I'll say, I'll ask like really basic questions like, how do you manage your email? Mm-hmm. Or like, how do you, and people have really interesting oh. tactics or like, mm-hmm. I asked someone and I was like, how do you manage your social media? And she mm-hmm. was saying, oh, my chief of staff does it. Um, but she's like, I inform her, I sit down once a week. And it's so, I actually think those tips and tricks, like, don't be afraid to ask those questions because there are yeah, people have advice. really interesting tactics. Yeah. Email, I'm like the person, yeah. I'm obsessed with email management. <laughs> And they're all different. Like my, someone I worked with, he was like, I clean out my inbox. So I only have five emails, you know, so you can see it in one screen every day. And I'm like, I could never do that. But someone else like puts them all into different folders. So Mm -hmm. everyone has different tactics and they don't all work for everyone. But, you know, just asking the question, I think has been super helpful for me to get tips and tricks. 
Meredith, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all your amazing advice with us and our listeners. I'm here with Casey Silvestri, who's a production assistant on Stay Tuned, which is a Snapchat show on NBC News. Casey, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Tell us what this role is. So this is clearly a very new and unique role if you're working specifically on Snapchat. So what exactly are you doing? Yeah, it's definitely something new. Um, We are the first daily news show for Snapchat. So it's definitely... Um, entering new territory. So I basically am on the team that helped launch the Snapchat show. Um, We launched over the summer um, and it's like one of the digital properties for NBC News. So it's a little bit different than working in a typical broadcast environment. So my job is essentially working between the producers and editors to make sure that they have the footage, the photos, and other things that they need to create the segments for our show, which is only two minutes long. Um, And basically we say this is what you need to know um, because it's Snapchat, it's quick, it's fast, and it's primarily for a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. So we want to just make sure that they're engaged, but also getting the information that we think that is really important for the day. So whether it is going between producers and editors or pitching ideas or writing some of my own segments and helping produce those, every day is so, so different, especially in a very fast-changing news environment. Um, but besides that, I mean, I've helped edit segments. Um, I'm going to be going on like a field shoot. I mean, every day is just so, so different. Um, I describe to people, it's like being at a startup within a very big company. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone on the team also feels that way. So creating content for Snapchat, I mean, there's no rule book for that. Like there, you know, clearly are trends and things that people do for other kinds of news that have been followed for years and years. Like what, you know, what's so exciting about it? Is it that it's so, is it incredibly flexible? Is it you guys can make it up as you go along? Like what are some of the really cool things that you're experiencing working in this medium? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said before, it, it's the first show, um, that, that was a daily news show for Snapchat. So you'll see on the discover page on the app, mm-hmm. there's different, um, publishers that will post like links or quizzes or uh, short video clips, but ours is actually a show that we shoot in the newsroom, we edit it in the newsroom. So it is like a mini nightly news or a mini today show, but except it's exclusively on your mobile device. So unfortunately, that means I can't be like, hey, Nana, like right. check out, you know, <laughs> my, the latest Snapchat show that I like, you know, help produce or whatever. But uh, I, I do feel very strongly about. NBC's investment in making a show that is really tailored to a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, And that affords us the opportunity to really play around with our story ideas um, and really picking and choosing what like political ideas are really important for younger demographic. And basically like, how is it going to affect them? Like if uh, a healthcare bill does or does not get passed, how does that affect a 16 year old? Mm -hmm. How does that affect someone in college? If there's something going on with student loans, like that's probably something we want them to know as well as just the craziness that is the news landscape. So we really had to try to find a balance between giving them hard news, lighter news, things that they should know in all of two minutes. So every, and again, really seriously, every day is so different. So that's great. It's fun. Yeah. it, It is a lot of fun that I can say. Before we get into more about your career, 
We need to know what your coffee drink of choice is. We love to talk <laughs> about coffee here. The serious stuff first. Um, so what is the coffee drink you cannot live without? <laughs> well, it's funny because my drink is so simple, but I really cannot get through the day without it. Right. It is literally just a, a latte. It's a hot latte, medium hot latte, maybe skim milk, maybe mm-hmm. not skim milk. It's trying to jazz it up to make it sound more exciting, but it really <laughs> isn't. But that being said, I have to start my day with coffee. It, it is my like powerhouse drink. Um, I can definitely feel it when I don't have a coffee. Do you wake up like already thinking about, this is me just projecting, but do you wake up thinking about your cup of coffee? I do. Yeah, no. And and I'm like, is it a double star day at Starbucks? Like, does that mean that I'm going to like have a free drink? Like I, oh yeah. Oh, I am. I mean, look, it's a crazy news world. It's a, it it can be long hours and it's great, but, uh, definitely caffeine helps. Uh, yeah. Coffee's running the media. Is that what you're saying? I think so. (laughs) This is a really exciting job that you're doing. I mean, it's so amazing. It's so innovative. It is something that probably even when you were in college, you couldn't have even thought like, oh, this is going to be a job. I mean, when I was in college, for sure, we were light years away from Snapchat. Um, What are the steps that you took to kind of get here? So school and internships and roles, you know, beyond that, what are some of the things that you did to get, what was your journey to get here? Sure. Um, so originally I thought that I wanted to just do like more feature films, um, more commercial based work. So I knew that I definitely wanted to study film to some degree, film and media. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I did apply to like my, my dream school, so to speak. And I realized actually a month before I was supposed to move in that I couldn't afford it. So, um, that was definitely like a, a kind of a hurdle in the very beginning. Um, and because I was like, well, what do I do now? It's like the middle of July. I'm supposed, I was supposed to go to film school, you know, at this really great college. And now what do I do? Like, I'm totally like, I'm literally starting my journey lost. Right. And that was a very intimidating thing, but it's honestly looking back, one of the best things that ever happened to me because it forced myself to be like, I need to make connections. Like I, cause what I ended up doing is I ended up going to a local community college and studying just basic communications Uh, It was in the Hudson Valley, which is about, you know, an hour and a half, two hours away from New York City. So I was in an arm's reach of where I wanted to be. And I just knew that I had to be the person to really project myself to get there. So when I studied uh, at community college, I literally just like tried to meet as many people as possible. I hustled a lot. I met, I got to know all my professors. They hooked me up with little like side gigs here and there. And, um, I started off as like a a freelance production assistant for, um, a few production companies in the area and doing just commercial work, but we did have some great clients. So basically I was a freelance production assistant and freelance editor for a couple years. I, I really started to fall in love with news and, just real issues facing a lot of people today. Mm-hmm. And I realized that commercial and feature film work kind of give me that back. Um, and that's not to say I, I'm not still interested in those things, but I felt like news and documentary based work was really where my heart belonged because I wanted to be able to produce content that was really engaging and could make a difference potentially in someone's life. So this was around the time, um, you know, I was graduating community college. I wanted to get a four-year degree. Uh, I ended up going to SUNY New Paltz, which is just across the river from the community college I was in because I couldn't really afford to, to move to the city and, and go to a school in the city at the time. But I knew I needed to still get to Manhattan. I still mm-hmm. needed to find a way to, to do this. And actually, uh, someone who I met through New York Wiki 
hooked me up with someone who worked at the Today Show. And basically one thing led to another and I landed my first, um, it, it was actually my second internship in the city. Um, I received a scholarship uh, originally from New York Wiki for the Meredith Corporation, which was like my first big girl, like New York City internship. And at the same time, I was working with this New York Wiki connection who was helping me try to get an internship at the Today Show. And from there, things just really fell into place. And I networked my way throughout NBC News. Um, I worked in their digital department after my Today Show internship had ended. And it's actually a really funny story. You know, you worry like your whole senior year about like when is going to be a time where I'm going to apply to get a job. Yep. And I, I kid you not, <laughs> I got a call the night before I graduated saying, do you want to try out for this role? At, it's a new, they were all secret about it. They were like, it's this new like platform that NBC is investing in and like they need PAs. And I was like, okay, I have to graduate first, but I, <laughs> but, but as soon as that's over, I, I'm your girl. Apply tomorrow at 2 p.m. Yeah, I know, I'm I graduating know. I was at 11 like, a.m. As soon as I get the cap and gown <laughs> off, I'm, I promise. So it was definitely like a, a longer, you know, journey to, in terms of like just really getting into the city and really making connections and stuff stuff like that, but it, it certainly paid off the years of hustling and everything. That's great. So, so you were commuting from the Hudson Valley yes. <laughs> to the city. Yeah. Oh um, let's see. Yeah. That goes back to starting my day off with a coffee and also a, a subscription to the New Yorker because <laughs> I a lot like, of time to read yeah, the whole New Yorker. Let, let's just say I needed a lot of feature articles to keep me awake on the train. Oh my God. Yeah. It was like a two hour commute, uh, door to door. Um, so it's like four hours of commuting a day and that, that definitely, um, that was difficult in turning. I was interning three days a week, uh, my senior year, um, and going to New Paltz twice a week. And, um, I actually joke, I, I like kept a bunch of clothes in the back of my car because I was so on the go. I was like staying with people in New Paltz. I was staying at my house. I was staying here in the city. I was staying at like my boyfriends in Westchester. Like I, like my Subaru honestly like died at the end of my senior year. <laughs> it gave like, up. like it, it was like, yeah, I'm done. you like, you got your job. Like I, my, like my job here is done. So, oh my gosh, it's really, I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. It's a lot, a lot of work to get you here, but. You got there. When you were interning at the Today Show, were you going in the morning? Yeah. Were yeah. you leaving the upstate yeah. at like... It was, uh, it, let's just say it was really early morning. Yeah. But always, always worth it. I mean, I wait... Like, people legit thought I was crazy. Like, uh, my friends are like, you wake up at three in the morning to do what? Right. And I'm like, but when you have a passion for something... It, it, it's not work and, and it's worth getting up at the crack of dawn and I will willingly do that. Um, and you know, again, when it's your dream, um, you will do anything mm -hmm. to, to get there. And I had a sense that if I put the time in to, to work these crazy hours and do this crazy commute, like it would all pay off. And so far I can definitely say that the, the work does pay off. You get what you, you put in. So yeah. you put in a lot. So I'm yes. so happy. <laughs> What's the production schedule of a Snapchat show that's every day? Like, when is it going live? So we go live twice a day, okay. um, Monday through Friday. I mean, we, we're also on the weekends. Um, we do one show on the weekends and then two shows uh, during the week. So we go live at 7 in the morning and 4 p.m. So that means that you're constantly getting the freshest news. Mm -hmm. But it also gives us time to tailor, like, what is the most important information you need to know. Because we're not live all the time, it really gives us – 
the opportunity to craft our ideas and craft the stories that we want to tell. And like, honestly, our segments are literally 20 to 30 seconds long. So when there's something happening at the White House, like we literally have to boil down the most like crazy details and into a 20 second segment that we need a younger demographic to understand. And that stuff takes time. So there's really not like a dull moment in the newsroom. There is never a moment where it's like, oh, like, what could we be doing right now? Because I know for me and many people on the team, we're always like catching that next story and catching that next idea and being like, how are we going to tell it in a way that a younger person is going to be like, hey, that's really interesting. Hey, that actually affects me. Do you work a million hours? (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) But again, it's like it never feels like work to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's just I I feel very happy when I when I'm at work. And and, and I tell people it's not like a job to me. It's really building my passion. It's almost it's like always work, but never work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good way to put it. I mean, I have found that many times in my career. It's like I kind of always am working, but it never feels like work. But I also (laughs) when I'm always working, feel like I'm okay to take more breaks because, you know, I've been working so much. It's a nice balance. (laughs) You have had a great experience, it sounds like, with New York Women in Communications. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this organization, we love it so much. It's done so much for so many of us, but you you were a scholarship winner. You're speaking to other young women um, who are looking to work in communications. When you, you know, look back at your career and look back at your kind of past What's a piece of advice you wish you could give your college self? Mm -hmm. I know when I first got this scholarship, I was feeling very lost at community college. There wasn't, honestly, a lot of people supporting me. It wasn't a very healthy environment. Um, I was like... The, sometimes the only woman in the classroom. Wow. Um, and that was definitely like intimidating. And I, you know, you hear all these things like, oh, you're like only 1% in, uh, of the room is going to get a job. And like the statistics seem like so stacked against you. Um, especially when you are the only woman in the room, it could just be really overwhelming. And I definitely know that once I got the scholarship and started like meeting people throughout the organization at different events, I really felt like it was the sorority I never had. I know a lot of people can speak to that as well, but it was really just like, it made me learn like it's okay to doubt yourself, but to question why. And Mm -hmm. and usually when you do say, you know, why am I feeling this way about myself? You reflect and also realize, well, hey, like I'm pretty great at doing this and this and I want to work, still work on whatever, but you're always going to have strengths and you're always going to have weaknesses and it's okay to have both. Mm -hmm. So... That's great. It really, it really is. It's like, definitely, I'm sure the reason is different for everyone. And I don't know if it's something around how women are raised and what we're, you know, kind of, but it it has been a recurring trend that when we talk about what we wish we had told ourselves were younger, it's like, be confident, you know, and and that's something we shouldn't be learning post-college, right? Yeah, I mean, ideally. What's the best piece of career advice anyone's ever given you? I was thinking about this a lot, actually. Um, I've received many good pieces of advice, and I attribute that to where I am today because there's been a lot of mentors and people who have supported me throughout my career. But I think the number one thing that I have kind of used as a mantra is to be politely persistent. Um, That was told to me by someone at NBC News who's a very accomplished woman. And I had met with her during my last internship. And again, this was during all the job anxiety and, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And she just very calmly said, you know, just be politely persistent. Mm -hmm. So because I I, I would always have this moment of like, when am I bothering someone versus when do I need Mm -hmm. to say something like when 
it, like, when can I have this review with my boss? When can I have an informational with someone? And if they don't answer, is it like a nuisance for me to follow up with them or whatever? And, and it's okay to follow up and it's okay to be persistent and to go after what you want as long as you're doing it in the right way and being like aware of like how you come off and what your surroundings are at the time. So definitely being politely persistent in whatever you do. I, I think that's something that I'm always going to keep close to my heart. That's such good advice. It's so funny. Like, I love when people follow up because if someone sends an email and they're like, oh, can you give me this, you know, advice or whatever or help? And then let's say it gets lost in my inbox. Totally. And I'll find it like months later. And I'm like, I can't believe this person never followed up with me. Like they must have not cared that much. That's how I look at it. Like <laughs> yeah, from my yeah. perspective, I actually like when people follow up, but I, I understand of course, like you don't want to be aggressive. Right. But right. Especially I when love, you're first starting right. out and like, you don't know what like to say when you're at the bottom of the right. food chain it's like this is so new like just how to communicate your your way throughout your career and stuff especially when you're first starting out totally no I think that's great advice have you ever received a truly terrible piece of career <laughs> advice I remember someone told me like not to work too hard or to not like work so much and I, I get that it's it's you have to balance your life and you have to balance your work and your family and the things that you do outside of work. But basically it was like, what's the point of working so hard when like the chances are so stacked against you, things aren't going to work out or whatever. Um, that was like told to me in the beginning of college, basically. Like, Is that like, just like give up? <laughs> like, what? Basically, what yeah. Advice? And it was like, it was, it was given to me by a professor who was like, you know, you walk around here he, he said his exact words were you walk around here thinking like you're better than everyone. And I am very conscious of, you know, how I treat other people and how I come across. And I remember that like totally like destroyed me at the time because I was like, what do you mean? Like walking around here? Like I, I, I never felt that way in my life. And I, I think I grew from that to say like, I, there is nothing wrong with being confident. There is nothing wrong with walking around somewhere and holding your head high. And as long as again, you're polite and you're persistent, like, that, that's just how you have to be. And if people think that that's too much or if that's too aggressive or whatever, like that's going to have to be their issue that they deal with. Um, but at least I know in my heart that there's nothing wrong with being a young, confident woman who's going after her dreams. And it's hard, like not to take anyone's words too seriously, good or bad, probably yeah, like totally. to really know yourself, which has been advice that we have also talked about today, like know yourself and just be, be sure of that and yeah. kind of let everything else follow. Is there something that no one ever asks you that you want to share or a piece of advice that you've always wanted to share things, you know, something from what you've learned that you'd like to share with other young women? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of sharing with something, sharing something with other women, um, it, it is hinges off of what I said before is like, don't let anyone tell you like what your future is going to be, because ultimately you're going to be the one that decides that fate. Uh, you know, making your own connections or interning or doing side projects that get you noticed. I mean, I remember people being like, well, isn't it going to be really difficult not having pre-established connections? Like, I don't know anyone, close friends or family members in the beginning who were in media. And mm -hmm. I said, well, that's going to be a challenge, but that's just going to be one of the things I'll have to find You're a like, way yeah, around. It and, will be hard. <laughs> yeah, like totally. I mean, it's not an easy Thanks you know, for thing. Thanks Yeah. But once you do put the effort in, it, it does fall into place and, it, and you do meet people and you feed off of their energy. And it, it, it's just about making your own connections and, and honestly just like paving your own path. Like people kind of say you have to do this, this, and this to get to where you want to be. And that's not always the case. Yeah. Doing what's best for you. Yeah. Following your own path. And I think especially now, like the career paths are not uh, clear. 
Like, yeah, it used totally. to be, you really could, like, get this job, and then the clear promotion would be the next level, and you right, stay in the company right. forever, and it's just not the case anymore. So you have to create your own path. Yeah. I mean, it's really the only option. Exactly. And, again, just to do your best, be politely persistent. Like, it all ties into right. each other, really, all these mantras that right? I have. Right? No. So. You have a great advice. Thank you so much for coming yeah, today oh and my God, sharing it with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you? Sure. Well, I mean, if viewers want to see the show, yes. um, you have to download the Snapchat app and we're on the discover page it's stay tuned um but if you want to follow me personally on twitter my handle is casey underscore sylvester okay and it's s-i-l-v-e-s-t-r-i you got it (laughs) casey sylvester you really shared such great advice today and a lot of stuff for us to think about so thank you so much oh my god it was my pleasure thank you so much We are here with Kristen Rust, who is a wardrobe stylist at TRL on MTV. Kristen, thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about what your role is now, what you're doing as a wardrobe stylist. Uh, so I'm a wardrobe stylist at TRL. I work under two lead stylists. Uh, shout out to Taisha Ampadu and Alyssa Keener. Um, we pretty much put together the looks for everyone that's on the show. It's about nine people. Um, it's intense and it's fun and it's love. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's really awesome. I work with a really great team. It's great. And yeah. it's ever it's all weekdays. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, it's four days a week. Four days yeah. a week. And did you watch the original TRL? Are you? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like it's almost surreal for me to even be working on TRL now. I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to watch it. Carson Daly. Yes. Lala, living the like, dream. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, yes. Amazing. What is your coffee drink of choice? What keeps you going? Oh gosh, that darn uh, vanilla latte grande <laughs> with um, almond milk. Please. <laughs> She's like, no, really. Can you bring me one? It's been a long week. <laughs> I'm <Thanks>. dying now. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Tell us about the steps that you've taken in your career to get where you are now. So, where did you start? And you know, internships and different roles that you have had to get you to this oh. dream job. Goodness gracious. Okay. Well, I am a freelance stylist, so I'm so fortunate and uh, enough to be on TRL. It's an ongoing project. Um, But, you know, there are other jobs in between of me working in styling. And prior to this, I was actually an executive assistant for about seven years. Oh, wow. But while I was executive assisting, I was working hard at, you know, um, interning with stylists and taking fashion classes and even just immersing. My, I'm really, really into, uh, or love of mine is art. So immersing myself in the art world, going to galleries and, you know, even painting. So um, I, I pretty much just, I, I fed into everything that I loved. I love painting. I love, you know, I always loved structure with clothing and texture and shapes, and I always looked at the details on people. So I just literally fed into what I loved. So I just started taking classes at FIT, and I took a class at uh, one class at the new school, and and then I shadow people, and I just get to know people. And when you were doing your executive assistant work, which is very demanding work, oh and you're gosh. really dealing with personalities and oh a lot of hours. Yeah. How did you find the time to fit in this other passion oh, project? I mean, and... I was tired a lot. <laughs> like I, I knew 
I was grateful to have my position as an executive assistant and it was in the television world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that worked out well and I, and I managed to have that leverage or, or use that as leverage, um, for my styling, but I made the time, like I leave work late and then go to a class or, you know, go to classes on weekday mm-hmm. uh, weekends mm-hmm. and be really tired but still do it because I knew I was chipping away at something so I just did it I really I was like I was led by this mysterious invisible force like <laughs> to just continue to go and move in that direction it's really funny because my undergraduate degree is in public relations and advertising and I swear to god I was going to be a writer mm-hmm. and I still love writing but you know that all changed I, I just literally like I said that force it just was leading me to this so it must be a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you decide, you know, how did you know that it was time to like really make the jump, like that you felt comfortable leaving a corporate job, which was probably had benefits and, oh you know, to gosh, go freelance. had everything. Right. Oh my gosh, my insurance was great. <laughs> gosh, shout out to Obamacare though. Um, no, but I, I, it was like a gut thing. Like I knew this wasn't a position I wanted to be in the entire time and, or, or for the rest of my life rather. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I knew that this was going to be, you know, I I wasn't going to be doing this forever. And I just figured I needed to get started, you know, chipping away at my future sooner than later. So probably like my second year into executive assisting, that's when I started really getting into interning with different wardrobe stylists and just meeting even with art directors, Mm -hmm. like all different kinds of anything in the art creative world. You know, I just, I jumped into it. No, it's a great, I mean, it's a great story. And, and in terms of freelancing, like what if it's just hard, right? That's a tough life. It's a beast and it takes a certain type of person and I love it. I (laughs) love it, but it's a beast. What do you love about being a freelancer? I am free. I am so flexibility like my heart just opened when I said that I am so free I'm flexible I can if I want to take you know a month off I I have I can do that like if I you know sure it's it's not cool having to go through things with insurance and you know taxes and everything Mm -hmm. but you know you do your paperwork you make sure you're tight everything's legal and you keep it moving what's some advice you might give to someone who wants to go freelance or be a freelancer? Like, what are some of the things you've learned? Because it is oh. really hard and it's a unique kind of job oh and, gosh. you know, there are highs and lows. Well, you have to, number one, be a preparer. Like, if you're trying to make a jump from, you know, nine to five with benefits and everything, um, the works, uh, you really have to just prepare. So I had recently inherited um, a home in my family. And, you know, so the thought of me going freelance and then I have this home now and right. the, the house is, it's in another state and, and, and I don't plan to leave New York city anytime soon. Right. What am I going to do? There was just a lot of preparation. There mm-hmm. was a lot. So I prepared on the side of paperwork and business and, you know, just getting my life in order, going, taking my doctor's appointments, you know, going to all of them, making sure I'm up to speed with everything. And then on top of that, I also had to prepare myself so that I could get work, you know, mm-hmm. or set myself up for work, once I left. So, you know, I'm reaching out to people doing like soft 
I guess a soft reach out, a soft right. email, like, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, I'll be free this time or that time or, you know, I'd love to have lunch or coffee with you one day, you know, and then when I did have the lunch or the coffee date, you know, then I'd let them know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm leaving this position that I've been in X amount of time and I'll be full-time freelance, you know. Um, but it, it really just takes a lot of preparation. Like, you got to want it. Mm-hmm. You really got to want it. And I wanted it. Yeah, I mean, I really you have to see it as a business, right? Like yes, you are running, sure. you are a business or you are running a small business yes, essentially. Yes, and if you think sure. about it like that, like it's great advice to just be like, seems obvious, but be organized. Oh my gosh. Like, organization is key. I just, I spent probably hours looking for like bins to, I have like a file. I'm obsessive about being organized in my paperwork. <laughs> oh my, I guess because I grew up and my parents, they really didn't, they were kind of bad with paperwork. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there'd be mail everywhere and they're like, oh, I got to get to that. And I was just always the one like, here, mom, here, dad, I can just put this in order. Here are all the light bills. Here are all the gas bills. Here's this, the mortgage pay. You know, so I, it was just kind of my thing. And that kind of later on uh, added to, uh, it became an asset when it comes to my styling too. Yeah. Being organized is like key. Mm-hmm. Um, but bottom line is I, I spent hours looking for this bin that had all these different files and, and and notes and everything in it so that I can just stay on top of everything. So this is stuff for the house that I'm managing mm-hmm. in another state. This is the stuff that's for my business and, and, you know, invoices that I need to send in for jobs that I've worked. You know, and this is stuff for just my everyday life, my rent, my this, my that. Everything literally needs to be aligned. But is a piece of advice you wish you could go back and give yourself when you were a college student? Oh, gosh. A piece of advice. Confidence. Being confident as a woman and being brave. Oh, my gosh. This is really this is really a, a thing for me. I, I mentioned at the panel that I spoke on um, earlier uh, that I watched a TED Talks. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I forget the woman's name. She was amazing. But she spoke about young women being uh, treated to be or raised to be perfect versus brave. Young men are raised to be brave. Go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Go and jump and do this. And and girls are taught to, no, you have to do this right. And this has to be in order and this, whatever, whatever, whatever. But being brave, if I could tell myself, just be confident, girl, you got it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would just go back and say, please just walk in it, you know, prepare yourself, make sure you have every, all the tools that you need, but just walk in it. Like that's what women, we don't, Ah, we don't get that enough. Like we all have it. Like it really hurts my heart sometimes when I'm speaking. Like I have um, there's a, a young lady who works with us. She's kind of a almost like a junior stylist, and she's just she just graduated from college and she's still learning. But I try and mention to her being confident and standing up for yourself is very important, and it will take you places and people will trust you more mm-hmm. when you trust yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> it's such a good point. I mean, when we're young as women, if we stand up for ourselves. Like that's seen as kind of like bad. Yeah. yeah. But as you grow up and when you start your career, like then you need that skill, oh but gosh. you aren't really given the opportunity to develop it. And then all the opportunities to, you know, when it comes to standing up for yourself come about, like when you're starting, right. like, you know, you have to stand up for yourself when it comes to your salary. Mm-hmm. You have to stand up for, your, for yourself when it comes to your, your position at work. You know, when it comes to a project you worked on and someone else taking credit and now that, like, it, it, there's so many different times we get hit with it. Once you get to a certain age, it's so important to tell little girls, mm-hmm. you know, or to prepare them so they'll be ready. You said you're very organized. Oh gosh, How do you manage it. your time? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my time? Oh, my. My time right now is just, honestly, 
I'm allowing my time to be 100% work right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, I'm adamant when I say I'm allowing. Right now, my schedule is a little crazy. I mean, my hours are, you know, it's kind of regular, maybe nine to seven or something like that, 10 to six. However, it's very intense within Mm -hmm. those hours. It's extremely intense. So when I go home, I allow myself to rest. I like saying though, like, you're just going to allow work to consume you now. Allow. I mean, it's like the ebb and flow. Yeah, of oh, for sure. Sometimes you are going to be fully consumed by work, and oh. sometimes you're not, and that's okay. And work-life balance has to be taken into consideration. They, that needs to be incorporated, I feel like, in, in colleges. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know so many people who work, 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 and they get sick, and you get tired, and then, you know, your families are neglected. And, you know, like, there's... There is room to make work-life balance. I I am a strong believer in just, you know, you have to go on vacation. There's more to our lives than just work, you know, and work, unfortunately, for most of us is like the center of our lives, and we have to manage that, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. No, it's really great. Thank you. What's the... What's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? There was a woman, her name's Kai Brown, and Kai would tell me, you know, she always encouraged me to go out and speak to people. I was very young in my career when I first became um, uh, an executive assistant. And she kind of took me under her wing. And she told me, you know, if you want this, if you want that, you have to go out, you know, you have to show yourself like, you know, and so you have to introduce yourself to people, people have to know who you are. So that was really huge for me. But you know, something else just came to me. My mom said, no matter what, be yourself. And that'll take you anywhere you need to go, no matter what. So, And I noticed, again, going back to the confidence thing, when I'm confident in myself and I'm okay with myself and I'm okay in my skin and where I am, I'm okay and people feel more comfortable. It really, it affects the group you're around mm-hmm. even. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be yourself is like a beautiful piece of yes. advice. Yes. It really yes. is. My, oh my gosh, my mother drilled that in my head. Be yourself, just be yourself like... So I just, I keep that at the forefront of my head, but also putting yourself out there as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's, oh my gosh, meeting people, you being the, the conversation starter. That's right. important. And with what you do, like in really any freelance job, particularly because you're always, you know, kind of looking for new roles, yeah. like you have to put yourself oh out there. Oh my gosh. It's a whole, like you're rebranding, you're branding yourself yep. with every different interaction. Like, so with every job, like, you know, I had a job and. When I first quit my executive assistant position, you know, I kind of felt like I messed up uh, this relationship with this client I had. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is she going to ever hire me again because I hadn't reached out or something? I didn't. There's just a lot to when it comes to booking jobs, being a freelancer. There's a big public relations Mm -hmm. uh, aspect to it that Mm -hmm. that you're not told about. Like you're selling yourself (laughs) and your skill, like yourself and your skill. So, you know, you got to make sure that they're comfortable with you and, you know, how you work with the books and how you communicate, you know, are you clear? Is everyone, you know, is everyone reading your message clearly? You know what I mean? Whether that be, you know, your, the message you're trying to send uh, creatively or, you know, whatever your emails, like, you know, are you, are you workable? Mm -hmm. Are you, are you employable? Thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and giving us more insight into what it means to be a freelancer. Of course. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, wow. On social media, I am, gosh, I'm underscore King Kristen underscore. 
Sorry, guys. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little fancy. I'm sorry. Um, but it's King Kristen, K-I-N-G-K-R-I-S-T-I-N. Um, I have a website. It's KristenRuss.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-R-U-S-S.com. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And we'll see your styling on TRL as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kristen. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.